Hi folks, I'm Lindsay Ray, otherwise known as UK Bidwriter. SMEs need to approach tendering for public or private sector commercial contracts in a different way to larger organisations. To really stand out from the competition and show off what makes your business the best choice for that contract, you need a specialist in SME tendering. In each episode of the UK Bidwriter podcast, I'll give you practical and effective tried and tested information and advice on bid writing and bid management to help you win more tenders. One of the most baffling aspects of tendering is the points and weighting system. Today I'm going to scratch the surface of this complex topic to give you a bit of insight on the basics of tender scoring. Quick disclaimer before we get started, after years in the bid writing industry, I am still on an epic search for a clear and simple guide to this thorny subject. Until then, my own potted guide will hopefully help you gain an idea of how weighting and points relate to each other and how they affect you, the bidder. As always, if there's something in a tender that you're responding to that's at all unclear, do ask for clarification from the relevant contracting organisation. Also, some of the aspects of this subject could arguably be more easily demonstrated visually in the form of tables. So if you want to see those, go to ukbidwriter.com forward slash pod. I'll link to the original post about points and weighting in the show notes. Okay, so the first thing to know is that there is no definitive way of scoring a tender. Oh joy, I hear you cry. There are rules that contracting authorities must follow depending on the type of tender, but even then there are options within those rules that allow for different methods of scoring and evaluation. Just as no tender is exactly the same as another, scoring mechanisms also differ to reflect this. Even where tenders seem on the surface to be identical, inevitably there will be differences whether major or minor. And the nature of those differences may then dictate differences in weighting and scoring even from the same contracting authority. For example, lowest cost versus meet. Yep, that's what I said. Scoring on lowest cost is pretty self-explanatory. If you can do the job in exactly the same way as everyone else and other factors aren't a consideration, then scoring simply on lowest cost seems like a no-brainer. That said, even with the simplest supply of products, contracting authorities often want reassurance in other areas than item cost alone. Which is where MEAT comes in. MEAT, M-E-A-T, stands for Most Economically Advantageous Tender. I told you we procurement people do love an acronym, and the more ridiculous the better, frankly. MEAT means considering other markers of best value for money in addition to cost, such as quality, capacity, responsiveness, health and safety, innovation, added value, project management, and many, many more. What those markers are in any given tender depends on the nature of the product or service and on the importance the tendering organisation gives to each area. Adding to the confusion is the dual evaluation method of points versus weighting. First of all, points. The majority of tenders that land on my desk use a point scoring mechanism with a given range of 0 to 5, although some are 0 to 10, some are 0 to 100, and some are, I think, just made up on a Friday afternoon after a lunchtime pint. It's easy to assume that zero is rubbish, five is good, and three is probably okay. Don't do that. It's essential to understand what each of these scores actually relates to, as the criteria for scoring higher marks is not always the same from bit to bit. 
Here are two examples from actual bids I've worked on. The scoring mechanism for tender one notes that to gain a top score of five, you must have given an excellent answer which meets all of the requirements and provides all of the required detail. To score a four, you need to give a good answer which meets all of the requirements but lacks some minor detail. And to score a three, you give a satisfactory answer which meets the requirements in many aspects but fails to provide sufficient detail in some areas. For tender two, however, to score a five, your answer needs to be a superior response which exceeds the specified requirements and is well substantiated. Whereas to score a four, you must achieve full compliance with a good response to requirements and which is appropriately substantiated. And to score a three, your answer must be satisfactory, which they deem as acceptable with reservations. So on the surface, there doesn't seem to be that much difference in these two scoring mechanisms, but when you dig more closely into the exact wording for each of the criteria, it becomes clear that for tender one, to score a five, you need only to meet the requirements and provide the requested details. In tender two, however, to score a five, you need to exceed the requirements and demonstrate how you will provide added value over and above the minimum obligations. So in tender one, you could state how you will meet the requirements and back that up with some evidence and you will score a five. But by giving the exact same answer on tender two, you would only score a three, possibly a four. And if your competitors have provided that additional information, then they will score more highly than you. Anyway, here is my rather simplistic four-step process to help you score the highest possible marks. Number one, read the scoring criteria carefully before answering any questions. Two, when writing your responses, aim for no less than the highest score. Number three, reread your responses, or even better, have someone else read them, and honestly and objectively evaluate whether the answers actually meet those high scoring criteria. Four, rewrite your response to include any additional information that will improve your score against the criteria given. A quick note here, if you are routinely scoring threes, then you really do need to put some effort in to find out why that is and where you can improve. And no amount of clever writing can entirely overcome an actual lack in any one of your processes, procedures, performance and so on in real life. What you put in your bid reflects what you do in your day to day. If you're routinely scoring two or less, then you need some serious intervention on how you're structuring and writing those answers and quite possibly a significant rethink of your day-to-day -day practices and procedures within your business. In a minute, I'll get to the other side of this insane equation, which is waiting. Right now though, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're enjoying this episode, subscribe now to make sure you don't miss out on all my other tips, tricks and insight into beating competition on your next tender. Head over to ukbidwriter.com forward slash pod to find links, show notes and more, or just search for UK Bid Writer on your preferred podcast platform. Hello again. Okay, so waiting is an entirely different bucket of frogs and adds extra layers of complexity, which I'm sure is as much fun to figure out for the people publishing the tender as it is for the people responding to it. Annoying as it is though, it does serve a purpose, which is to focus the tendering exercise towards finding suppliers that reflect the contracting authority's own priorities. 
Again, it all depends on the nature of the product or service being procured, the sector, the type of contracting authority, whether the moon is in Aquarius and various other factors. And if you routinely score the highest points for all responses across the board, then waiting is not going to be that much of an issue for you. However, it's rare that any supplier is beyond perfect in every way, and so contracting authorities must decide what's most important to them for the purposes of each tender. Remember, all this stuff and the examples from the first half are written out visually on my website. Go to ukbidwriter.com forward slash pod and look for the link in the show notes for today's episode. So my first example uses a fairly simple waiting scheme with four criteria for each bidder to meet, which are number one, ability to provide a service that is flexible in planning and delivery with options that can be tailored to specific needs. Two, ability to deliver a service within the time frame and to meet the needs of the project. Number three, ability to be flexible and responsive to changing needs throughout the contract. And four, cost and value for money in relation to criteria one, two and three. The weighting for these is broken down into 30% against criteria one, two and three and 10% for criteria four. It's clear that this particular authority's focus is on flexibility and responsiveness. Equal importance is given to two elements that deal with tailoring the services provided and to one element that deals with delivery within timescales. Slightly less important is put on cost and value for money, which shows that while cost is still important, the authority will probably consider paying more for a service that meets those higher weighted needs more effectively. My second example is a bit more complicated, despite there only being two distinct criteria, value for money, which is weighted at 40%, and quality of service provision, which is weighted at 60%. Simple, yeah? Don't kid yourself. Each of these criteria is then broken down to further percentage weightings. It starts off relatively well within the value for money criteria, which is worth 40% overall. 35% goes toward guide pricing, actual quotes, and the remaining 5% goes towards value-based discounts, length of contracts, and so on. So far, so simple. However, within the headline weighting for quality of service provision, which is worth an overall 60%, there are several elements that are considered more vital than others, and these are given their own weightings within weightings. Here we have 5% towards service level agreements, 10% towards human resources, 10% on delivery capacity, contract support and responsiveness, 5% on customer complaints, a pass-fail 5% on safeguarding vulnerable people, 10% towards the implementation plan, and 15% towards compliance with the specification. So in this instance, how do points and weighting work together? Assuming that neither you nor your competitors are actually perfect in every conceivable way, but that each of you have areas of strength which are reflected in the points you score on your bid, the contracting authority needs to be sure that your areas of strength match up with their areas of highest importance. So if you score highly on your responses to how you recruit, induct and manage staff, but the contracting authority is focused on the quality of your widgets, it's likely that the weighting for staff resources will be low, while the weighting for quality assurance will be high. I can't give specific formulas for how points and weightings are then calculated together as they too change from tender to tender. But it should be fairly obvious that if you have weaknesses on a high weighted area, you should concentrate on mitigating those within your answer to gain the highest points possible, as the weighting will then further intensify your ultimate score. Conversely, 
If you are awesome at a low weighted activity, then I would suggest you answer as much as you need to to gain those high points and then leave it alone and focus on another area that's in need of more attention. Now then, the mathematicians are amongst us are now yelling, what about the other 5%? Did you really think I'd forgotten it? You should know you can trust me by now. The missing 5% in my second example relates in this instance to safeguarding vulnerable people. Although really it could relate to anything the contracting authority sees fit, but safeguarding is a good example of a little bit of waiting weirdness that you might come across from time to time, simply because of the importance of safeguarding in itself. So here, safeguarding only attracts a lowish weighting of 5%. But in the scoring and weighting criteria within the tender instructions, you would see it written as 5% pass fail. Which means that that 5% will only apply to those bidders who have met or exceeded the pass fail points baseline for that question or section. If this points baseline is not met, your bid is rejected entirely. So in this case, it's weighted low, not because it's not important, but because if you can't meet the minimum score, you won't get any further with your bid, full stop. And therefore, weighting it highly is largely irrelevant. The fact that it's weighted at all, rather than being a simple pass-fail question, does indicate that the contracting authority will allow, and probably expects, a basic but compliant response, but will value a compliant and comprehensive response more highly. Yet again, I advise you to have a look at the tables on my site if any of this is at all unclear. Lastly, you should also know that it's not always the case that all of your responses will be translated into an overall aggregated score once the weighting formula is applied. For example, some tenders require you to reach a minimum aggregated pass mark for one or more entire sections before the assessors will even look at the rest of your submission. Some require you to reach a minimum score on pricing before evaluating the remainder of the bid and others require the exact opposite. It's all weighty stuff, so what's the bottom line? There are just so many different ways to calculate the end score that me listing them here just isn't realistic. And because it's so complex and so changeable from tender to tender, it's vital that you read through the tender guidance, understand where the contracting authority's priorities lie for each individual contract. That's not fun, even for me, and I do this for a living. And so, in my experience, the best way to stop yourself from waking up in a cold sweat during the night is to focus on the points above all else, with an underlying understanding of the importance that the contracting authority is giving to certain areas. Read every question, understand and respond to all of the elements within each question, then read it back objectively and see where it falls down and where it can be improved. And now I'm going to have a lie down. That's all for today. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the UK Bid Writer podcast. Make sure to visit my website at ukbidwriter.com where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a trick. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd be great if you could give it a rating on iTunes or just tell a friend or a colleague and spread the word. And don't forget, you can also contact me directly to talk about what your business needs most to win more contracts by emailing me at lindsay at ukbidwriter.com or to find me on the usual social channels, just search for UK Bid Writer. You've been listening to Lindsay Wright, otherwise known as UK Bid Writer, offering specialist expertise for UK SMEs. See you next time.